Thanks for joining us again on Verbatim Word as we search for biblical truth in a daily context. This is Justin Gary. On our last podcast, we started together in the book of Galatians, and we saw the new identity and new calling that comes with entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We also looked at the power of the true, pure gospel that has not been tainted with the misunderstanding that I could somehow add to the finished work of the resurrected Christ. On this episode, we continue Paul's introduction in his letter to the churches in Galatia. Our text today is Galatians 1, verses 3 through 5. It says this, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. At this point, we have already seen that Paul had submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in his life. He met the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, and that encounter transformed everything so that Saul could become Paul. And Paul knew that Jesus had done it, and this is huge for Paul. For years he had struggled as a Pharisee, doing the rituals and the sacrifices, observing the law the best he could, and never quite achieving righteousness. And in an instant, on a dusty road, Paul entered into the righteousness that he was seeking. But it wasn't by his works, it was by faith in what Jesus Christ had already done. Today we see that Paul has more to say about Jesus and what he had done. We see in verse 4 of Galatians chapter 1, it writes this, "...who gave himself for our sins, that he, Jesus, might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father." He says there, he gave himself for our sins. This goes according to the principle of substitution. As we saw in our last podcast, a key element in the Jewish sacrificial tradition was substitution. But it was never complete. The blood of an animal was sacrificed, but it was just symbolic. It covered over our sin, an innocent sacrifice for a guilty person. It was almost like sweeping it under the rug, though, because that sin was never truly taken away. It was still there. That's why when John the Baptist saw Jesus come on the scene, he cried out, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And why would Jesus' sacrifice make the difference and change it all? He would be that perfect sacrifice. He who knew no sin became sin. Paul says this, whatever the Judaizers are telling you in Galatia about your need to do more, it's already done. We can't do more to make God love us or accept us more. He doesn't like me more on the days I read my Bible or like me more on the days I go to church or give or dot all my I's and cross all my T's. He has accepted me because I believe and trust he gave himself for our sins that he is the fulfillment as the ultimate substitutionary sacrifice. That's why someone's theology is off if they believe that they will go to heaven because they are a good person. It's a common misconception that those who do enough good receive a get-out-of-jail-free card, that somehow God owes them forgiveness because they did their chores, that their good somehow outweighs their bad. That's the false belief that Paul was adamantly writing to the church about. And why did Jesus give himself for us? It says there in verse 4, to deliver us from this present evil age. Let's focus on that word deliver. 
It means to pluck out or to root out or to rescue. Have you ever had someone call or text you to get you out of a certain situation? You've told them before you've gone to the meeting saying, if I'm not out in a few minutes, would you just text me and get me out of there when we don't want to be in a certain place? It's convenient sometimes to be delivered. The Bible says that all we like sheep have gone astray. Now, sheep are known to not be the smartest animals. They find themselves in places and situations where they need the shepherd to deliver them, to be plucked out, to be rooted out, or to be rescued. That's why those shepherds have those crooks, those poles with the rounded end at one point, so that when a sheep goes astray, if they're in an area that the shepherd cannot easily get to, they can reach down and with that hook, pull them back to safety, pluck them out, root them out, rescue them. Say the sheep is on a steep ledge and they can't get back up. The shepherd can deliver that sheep. We may at times find ourselves in situations where we don't know how to get out of the situation. Maybe it's been through poor choices we've made, or willful disobedience, or ignorance, or flat-out rebellion. And we wonder, how am I going to get out of this one? God is a God who delivers us. And when we call out to him from those situations, he doesn't ignore our calls. He doesn't ghost our texts or cross his arms and refuse his help. It's in his very nature to deliver those who cry out and need it. I remember when I was in college, I was home visiting my parents and other friends were there as well. And we decided to take a group trip out to Hana, which is on the east side of Maui, if you've ever been there, a beautiful place. It's a 50-plus mile drive with beautiful views along sea cliffs the entire way, winding bridges, one-lane roads. It's a great trip, and we were having a great time, stopping for pictures, having good conversation, singing to the radio as we journeyed along. Now there in the remote town of Hana, just past Hasegawa's store, the car started skipping, losing power, and the transition in my mom's Aerostar van that we had borrowed went out. I called a mechanic. It was Friday. They would not be able to get to us until Monday to help us out. Well, as a group of college students, we had no money to stay in the Hotel Hana, no camping gear with us, and we needed to get home. So I did what I have done on many occasions. I called my dad. He was just finishing work on Friday afternoon on the other side of the island, and being the great guy that he is who also has the gift of helps, He was on his way to deliver us. He drove the three-hour trip out to Hana in two and a half hours, and he arrived just at dusk as the sun was setting behind Haleakala Crater. He took a look at it, and nothing he could find in the spot, it still wouldn't go. So he got out the tow line, and he towed the Aerostar van and myself and our friends all the way back to the other side of the island through Kaupo when we got home about midnight. I still remember the stress of feeling stranded, of feeling stuck, the panic of wondering, what am I going to do now? My dad delivered us. Our Heavenly Father is there to deliver us when we cry out. It's in His nature. He has the resources, the wisdom, the perspective, and the strength to deliver us from any and every situation, no matter how we got there and how long we've been there. 
Now, there are times we will still deal with the repercussions of our sinful choices. But even when we find ourselves stuck because we have disobeyed, when we finally come to our senses and repent and cry out to be delivered, He will always respond. But it takes humility to cry out to be delivered, to say, Lord, I am stuck here, and without you, I can't get out. But He will always respond to cries for deliverance. David in the Old Testament often found himself in situations where he needed deliverance, either by circumstances or backed into a corner by his enemies or even by his own sinful and rebellious choices, which are not hidden from us in Scripture. He knew God as a deliverer. Take Psalm 18 as an example. In verses 16 through 19, we read this. He, God, sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. That reminds me of the times when you're watching on the news where they're showing reports of flooded areas, of broken levees, and the helicopters come to do those aerial rescues and they pluck those people out. That's what David says there. He drew me out of many waters. He sent from above. He took me. It goes on and says, He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. When you have no strength or resources to deliver yourself, God does, no matter how strong the circumstances or how strong the opposition or how weak you feel. David goes on, says, They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. David says he brought him out to a broad place. It's safe. It's wide open compared to that tight squeeze that you find yourself in. And the reason he does it, the reason he delivers me, David says, because he delights in you, because he loves you. David found even more ways that God delivered him in Psalm 18. In verse 43, he says, you have delivered me from the strivings of the people. All the demands placed upon him by others that he could not fulfill. God delivered him. In verse 48, He delivers me from my enemies. You have delivered me from the violent man. God can deliver you from situations where people's motives towards you are not right, even malicious, where you've been cheated or backstabbed or betrayed or bullied. God can deliver you. Verse 50, Great deliverance he gives his king, David writes. Every opportunity that God gets to deliver one of his own is a great opportunity because it brings him glory. David experienced it over and over. God was faithful to deliver. Now, God doesn't always deliver us in our way and in our time. I think of the story in the book of Exodus of the children of Israel who'd been captive in Egypt for over 400 years as slaves. There they cried out for deliverance. And God heard, but God did not immediately act because he was doing something behind the scenes. He was raising up a deliverer in the man of Moses. He was also preparing the people's hearts and also giving the people of Egypt one more chance to repent. But when God did finally come through and deliver his people, it was the right way in the right time that brought him the most glory. Now again, the word deliver that Paul uses in Galatians 4 means to pluck out, to root out. 
As I mentioned many times already, I grew up in Hawaii in the island of Maui, and the soil there is very, very fertile. This volcanic soil that anything can grow in, including weeds. And that was a common chore for us growing up, that we were to go out and weed. But when we weeded, we couldn't just pull them out in a quick fashion. We had to get them out by the roots. Otherwise, the same root, the same weeds would sprout up once again. If we simply lopped off the top just to make it look like we had taken care of the chore, the next rain would come and those weeds would be back in full force. The goal was to root it out. That's the word for deliver, to root it out. When Jesus died for our sins, it served to root us out of something that we were planted in. What did Jesus root us out from? Well, he says there in verse 4, from this present evil age. We all need to be delivered to be rooted out from this present evil age. Paul wrote this about his time that he was living in, but this could apply to ours as well, a present evil age. It's evil because it is a generation in rebellion to God. Now we might think, who are you, Paul, to call it evil? Each generation since the fall of man has been in rebellion against God. We choose what we want instead of what God says is best. There are things in our individual lives, our society, and our world today that we have grown accustomed to, that we have rebranded as being acceptable or okay. But those things clearly go against the standards that God has set in his word. We think it isn't really that bad, is it? Or, well, the Bible was written long ago. This is kind of outdated. Or, we have a lot more understanding now. We've progressed beyond that. And so things that were once considered evil, we redefine and even celebrate as good. God said this in Isaiah of that type of attitude. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Isaiah 5 verse 20. He says, woe if you begin to redefine what is good and what is not good. That is not our job to do. God is the standard. And when we get, get away from that, woe to us. Here is a problem when man and society try to redefine sin and accept things that were once considered sinful. If we take a habit or a tendency or a lifestyle or an action that was once sinful and now call it acceptable, then the cross is no longer needed and it minimizes the cross of Christ. If that is no longer sin, you have just robbed Jesus from being able to deliver a whole nother segment of the population who is struggling in that area. We have just kept a whole new group of society from the blessing of seeing Jesus come and deliver them because we've told them they are okay and they need no deliverance. Refusing to call things sin that are biblically sinful robs the cross of Christ from being able to show his power, his forgiveness, and his deliverance. Paul does call it a present evil age, one to be plucked out from. Think of the picture here. Go back to me doing chores in the garden. The evil age is the flower bed, and we need to be rooted out of this evil age. You know the fruit of your time planted in the soil of this evil age. 
The natural man, apart from Christ, planted in this sinful age, bears bad thorns and thistles. The natural desires we have, apart from Christ, coupled with the opportunities this world presents, the fruit of our lives is thorns and thistles. Many of us have experienced that in seasons before we walked with Jesus, or in seasons where we have done our own thing and ignored his, his leading. But because, as verse 4 says, Jesus gave himself for our sins, first of all, we have forgiveness for all the bad things our lives produce during those times. No matter what it is, Jesus has already paid for it. But also, point number two, we have the power to be rooted out, to bear no more thorns in the soil. It's possible to live in this evil age as a Christian and as a follower of Christ, but to bear fruits of righteousness. Because we have been delivered, our roots have been plucked up, and now we can live in this world and not be bearing the thorns of it. This was something Paul has seen was lacking under the law, the law that the false teachers were promoting once again. The law, it allows for behavior modification. Just do this and that will result. But if it is dependent on outward actions, my actions may change, but my heart often does not. And so I'm only as good as my discipline is, which will always fall short. Eventually, I'll find myself back in it. Even if I stop for a season, I might go back to the old thorny thistle ways. But when I am under grace, I have been freely rooted out. And my response is now to live in a way that is good and fruitful because it's possible now. Are you going through circles and cycles of trying to be delivered from something? Perhaps it's a habit or a tendency or a behavior or an attitude or a situation. But you can only manage to stay away for a short time and then boom, suddenly you realize you are back. Let me challenge you. Are you doing it in your own strength? Are you trying to get free by the law? If I just do this, or if I just do that, or if I just try harder, maybe I'll eventually be delivered. Your struggle lies in the fact that you need to be delivered by Jesus. It's something that only he can do. He gave himself to do it. When it comes to being delivered from this present evil age, as it says in verse 4, the deliver there of being plucked out or uprooted, it could also perhaps be applied in an eschatological context. Eschatology is the study of end times. The world presently is an evil age, and God's people have a desire and need to be plucked out. This is a principle that many believe we see in Scripture and Paul emphasized in his teachings, that Jesus at some point will pluck out and uproot his people from this world, from this present evil age. Now, not all Christians agree as to when or how that will happen. I personally see evidence for something called a pre-tribulation, premillennial eschatological view. But regardless of your eschatological views, your end times views, Scripture communicates we will not always dwell in this present evil age, and God longs to pluck us out and has a plan to do so. Take, for example, Jesus' parable of the wheat and the tares. As he's teaching about the kingdom, he says this in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. 
Another parable Jesus put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. A little further in that chapter, in in verses uh, 36 through 43, his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Regardless of your personal end times views, Jesus will uproot us. This is not our home, and this evil age will be ended and destroyed. Many find in Paul's letters an indication that the church will be plucked out. The world is a crazy place. There's so much uncertainty, anxiety, instability, disunity. And Jesus told us that in those times of uncertainty to look up because our redemption draws near. Paul said that we should be looking for us to be plucked out and to comfort each other with this thought. We are challenged to focus up, not on the evil age. And when Jesus plucks up his people from an evil age, however that will look, it won't be because we earned it through the law. It will be because he did it and gifted it to us by his grace. Paul ends his intro in Galatians chapter 1 verse 5. Verse 5 says this, To whom be glory forever and ever. That word glory there, the word makes us think of honor, of attention, of applause. When it came to the works of the Judaizers that they were teaching falsely there in Galatia, men can take the credit when it comes to the law and when it comes to work. People can claim the glory for themselves. Look at what I did to achieve my own righteousness. Paul could only give glory to Jesus, and this glory would be forever and ever. Fame and glory pass here on the earth. Someone so enthralling and influential has to keep impressing the public. New songs or or new athletic achievements or new products or new images. We always need to be reinventing in order to maintain that fame and glory. It's so passing here on the earth. What Jesus did never gets old. 
It's that valuable. It's timeless. Each generation. It does not need to be reinvented or repackaged or updated, which is what the Judaizers were seeking to do. But the law, it was obsolete. It was no longer needed after the cross. The law pointed out our need for one final sacrifice. The law pointed out that we could not do it perfectly. What Jesus did was still glorious, and it would be forever and ever. There was no need to update it, no need to upgrade it. There was no 2.0 version, which is what the Judaizers were trying to bring about. When Paul said forever and ever, he knew that things now were temporary. The doctrinal issues, the church issues, the cultural issues, the internal wrestlings, the global pandemics, the economic hardships. When Paul said forever and ever, he longed for an open-ended existence where there will be no variation. How about you? Is your mind on things above? Or are you distracted by the temporary junk of this evil age? As we close, I pray that you will experience God's deliverance today. May he deliver you from being caught up in the temporary things of this world. May he deliver you from striving and working to achieve perfection. May he deliver you from anything you have wandered into in which you may currently feel stuck. May he deliver you from fruitless seasons and replant your roots in fruitful soil. May he deliver you from all that is overwhelming you as you call out, release, and submit those things to him. And may he deliver you from anything that has power over you that has you feeling trapped, stuck, or unable to move forward. May Jesus Christ be your deliverer. And can I offer you two things today that Paul offered his brethren in Galatia? Grace and peace. May you rest in God's unmerited favor in his grace today. May you accept his love for you. May you cease striving and surrender. May you turn from your need to always be right. May you acknowledge that you are needy and need him. May you receive that abundance of grace that he has for you. And may you be filled with his peace today. A peace that passes your understanding. A peace that this world cannot give. A peace that guards your heart and guards your mind. A peace that fills you and can spill out on others. A peace that cannot be robbed by your circumstances. A peace based in trust and not in circumstances. The peace that comes from knowing you have a good Father who has gone to prepare a place for you. May Jesus show you his deliverance, his grace, and his peace, even in the midst of a crazy, evil age. Thanks for being with us today on this edition of Verbatim Word. We look forward to having you with us next time. God bless you.